0: Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast
1: of the Running Hooks Podcast Now. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Running Hooks Basketball Power Hour. I am Alex Burr, joined once again. Um, he was going to be here. Out of like, you know, he's going to be here as a trying to find think of the right word as a compliment to us. But now he's here out of sheer necessity. It is my once again, great friend, former co-host, Dylan Hughes. Dylan, in the tradition of throwing a curveball, when you expect a fastball, although I'd expect you'd expect this curveball, knock it out of the park. Um, Jeff Saturday won his first game as head coach of the Indianapolis Colts this weekend. My question to you, Dylan Hughes is what are your thoughts? I know you talked about it on Linsanity, but you have to tell the power hour crowd what your thoughts are on this whole situation.
0: (laughs) I mean, yeah, it was a wild situation with the whole hiring him and all that. Uh, Pretty unexpected. It was fun. And the first game was fun too. You know, they looked, they looked a lot more energized it was the first game this season where the offensive line was actually good, which is cool to see Matt Ryan was back in there and had the greatest run in NFL history. So that was fun to watch. And you know, they beat uh, the pathetic Las Vegas Raiders who are trying to not pay three coaches at the same time. So You know, you want to you want to talk shit about some some coaching decisions. I think the focus should come off Jeff Saturday and go on the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, But, you know, that's in the past now. We're moving on to bigger and better things like the Eagles. And uh, we'll see. We'll see if Jeff Saturday can pull one out of his uh, back pocket on this one.
1: So real quick, because I, you know, I listen to a little insanity. I listen to all of the running quick podcast network podcasts, because that is my job. Um, I, if anyone has to listen to them, it is me. I think Dylan, you would agree with this. <laughs> when you guys were talking about that, I think we kind of gloss over the fact that Al Davis is kind of in the same boat, not Al Davis, but, um, Mark Davis, but Al Davis is the Jerry bus as Mark Davis is the genie bus. I think you'll see where I'm going with this. They're kind of in that same boat where I think Dylan, you remember Lakers didn't want to fire certain coaches either (laughs) because they just didn't have the cash on hand because they're not rich like that. All their wealth comes from their individual teams. And Bryce said like, you're in Las Vegas. Why aren't you making any money? I think I know why. They left Silicon Valley to go to Las Vegas. Look at how much money the Warriors are making right now. The Warriors are like shitting money right now. Why are the, the Raiders could do the same thing? Oakland's not that far from San Francisco. I mean, Silicon Valley and the Raiders are probably more popular than not probably. I think it's safe to say in America, the Raiders are probably more popular than the Warriors. Like, have you seen Raiders fans? They travel really well. Um, so I think Dylan I think that's one of the reasons why they are cash poor I think they move to a way smaller market that we don't like we talked about the Raiders for some reason we talked about Oakland like it was a really small market I think it's all because of Moneyball <laughs> I think it's like but now like look at the Warriors I think we agree since the Warriors started winning we're like oh yeah that actually is one of the biggest media markets in the country like and now we're seeing that I think the Raiders probably miss Oakland.
0: Yeah, it is. It is really weird because, like, I think sports fans in general kind of always looked at Oakland as like a dump, you know, and it's because, I don't know, maybe it is because the, the A's and Moneyball and that whole thing. I, I don't know, but it seemed like a great idea going to Vegas. And I, I think it's uh it's maybe a cooler thing for Vegas to have the Raiders and the Raiders to be in Vegas. I think that's maybe what's going on there. Um, so I don't know. I, I think it's kind of funny and it, it's kind of sad too. Cause I, I like a lot of the players on the Raiders. Like I want them to do well. I've always been a Derek Carr guy. I've always been a Devonte Adams guy. So Darren Waller, you know, and, some of the guys, like Max Crosby, is one of my favorite players in the league to watch. So it's it sucks that they're in this position, but man, what a what a mess! I mean, John Gruden's got to be on the books for like six more years. You know, McDaniel's is probably getting paid decent. So it's it's tough. I I'm I'm not sure what what's gonna happen there, but it's 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 the Raiders we know and love, uh, which is a a just a trash buyer. <laughs>
1: Absolutely, and listen, just to bring it back to the Colts real quick, I hope they don't win another game the rest of the season. I would like to see Bryce Young in a Colts uniform. I think that'd be really fun. Or CJ Stroud. I'm not picky. You know how, give me Hendon Hooker. I know Hendon Hooker is probably older than Joe Burrow. I don't care. Listen, I know Matt Ryan looked good last week. He was playing the Raiders. Um, Let's use that little bit of context. I think the Colts are going to do for a coming back to earth this week, a very much coming back to earth this week, especially since the Eagles are looking to bounce back after losing to the football team. So I'll be interested to see how that goes. Um, Dylan, I think we should move on. I real quick. I sh, we sh- I know I don't like talking about Kyrie, but it appears Kyrie is eligible to come back. Finally um he missed about seven games it appears he'll be rejoined the team on sunday so i guess good for him he did his time i guess and then also the um josh primo case he and the um, team psychiatrist they settled out of court so that case has reached its conclusion and again i don't feel the need to add any commentary to that so dylan it's your choice. You have two of your favorite teams, I think, in the league on for the, this Power Hour. I think three of your favorite teams. You love the Grizzlies as well. Someone lets you choose. Where do
0: you want to start this week? Well, I you know, we usually save the best for last, so I'm going to save the Grizzlies for last.
1: Um, okay.
0: So I, I think we should just go ahead and start with the Pacers.
1: The Indiana Pacers. I think they had the best, not the best week. Um, They certainly... They did better than the Cavs. All of these teams did better than the Cavs. They were the best East team this week. So, um, this was a short week for the Pacers. You had to really dig into the last week. Last Wednesday, eight days ago, I don't like going that far for games, but the Pacers schedule was a little sparse this week. Um, They beat, they lost to the Nuggets 122 to 119. Then on Saturday, (laughs) November 12th, they beat the Raptors 118 to 104. And then last night, they beat the Hornets 125 to 113. Dylan, I feel like there's a lot to talk about with this team, but you were a huge fan of the Tyrese Halliburton acquisition. Talk about the energy he's brought to this team and what you've seen from him playing with this team.
0: Yeah, I mean, he's. I sent a little snippet in uh, for the the pod back when that trade happened. And I think it was February. And, man, it was just so exciting. And I always loved Domas, you know, but getting Halliburton was uh, just such an easy win, such a clear win, just because, you know, point guards are more important than centers that don't defend the rim. And, Haliburton is still insanely young, you know, so he kind of helps reset that timeline for the Pacers who clearly wanted to get younger. And I think they planned on tanking this year. It's not really going that well, but he's just been so fun to watch. I mean, his, his passing vision is just insane. Like he's definitely the best passer the Pacers have had in a long time. And I think if he's not leading the league in assists, he's definitely up there. I know for a while he was. I mean, he he's just such a good passer. And, I mean, to be fair, this is a really good team to play with, too, because there's a lot of good shooters. There's a lot of movement happening. There's a lot of talent in general. So he's not having to – he's not like Shea having to play with 19-year-old G League players, you know. Like he's playing with really good players that know how to move off ball. So that that helps, but also outside of that, his shot is has been really good even though it's it's that weird like almost catapult shot with like no legs, you know, but it it works. I mean, I I forget which game it was. It may have been the Raptors game. He pulled up from like the logo and nailed it. You know, he's he's got really good range and he's just he's just a solid all-around player and like And calling him solid almost feels like an insult. Like he's just really good in a ton of different areas and he's a true leader and he's a true alpha dog and having him on this team has really raised their floor to a point where it's like, I don't even think they can have a top five pick because if he's healthy, they're just going to win a ton of games and the games they don't win, they're going to be competitive.
1: So I, I can see your point. Um, if i can counter he was pretty healthy his first couple of years in sacramento and they weren't the best i i mean they were okay i don't remember where they picked his first year i think his but his first year they didn't make the playoffs um and his second year obviously they shipped him off halfway through i i do think tyrese though is a culture changer i think we're seeing that cuz he changed the culture in sacramento and now we're seeing him do it here and this is why Kings fans were so upset when they traded him last year. Like he brings a palpable sense of movement to this team. You want to move because if you move, you're going to get the ball. And yes, I, I looked while you were talking because, you know, that's what a good producer does. And he is still leading the leading league in assists per game. He is leading the league in total assists, although Trey Young is... <laughs> behind him that's a team I'm fascinated to watch by the way I haven't got a chance to get around to them much yet Um, by the, by the way we didn't address it JD again not here this week he should be back next week because I don't think I will have Dylan Hughes next week so I hope we get JD back next week if not we'll work something out but um, anyway back to Halliburton he is such a good driver of offense this team flows so well I like Matherin a lot. We'll get to him later. I don't think he's having this kind of success even in Detroit because Cade doesn't just promote this kind of movement. Cade's a good passer but Cade's a good passer in the mold of like a Luka, of like a Harden. right? And those guys, they're good passers but the kind of basketball they play I think the Cavs kind of do this too with Garland. I think Garland and Halliburton, I think that's what makes these teams so fun to watch and what I think they both have in common is that they're both just the movement they play with is spurred by their point guards. And I think that we're seeing it. It's a special quality that the point guards have that allows the teams to be like, okay, we can play this special kind of movement way and we know we're going to get it. If we just keep moving.
0: Yeah, I definitely think that's, that's the case. And it's, it's pretty evident when you watch them that it it really just flows seamlessly. And and you just create so many open buckets when it's like that, you know? When when things are just moving easily. And this is we kind of talked about this with the Celtics last week, and they don't really have that kind of a guy that gets the team moving like that. But I think they all just kind of move really well on their own. And you're gonna see in the offense it just flows so easily. And the Pacers and the Cavs, you know, are the same way where the ball gets around and, and it and always ends up in the right spot, it seems like. And it doesn't – there's not a ton that seems forced. And, you know, sometimes it's good to have a guy like Luka or Harden that can kind of force stuff when they need it, you know. And when he gets to the playoffs and it's tighter defense, it's, you know, good to have a guy that's capable of that. And it's not to say that Halbert isn't, you know, we haven't really seen that yet. But he does encourage so much movement and flow. And it's made him look really good. And it's made everyone else look awesome too.
1: Yeah. And I think two guys has made look really great. And I want to talk about the vets next because there's two vets on this team that everyone's been talking about for months. It's always in context of the team that I think you and I dislike the most. I think it's fair to say in the league, in the Los Angeles Lakers, buddy healed miles Turner. I want to talk about miles Turner. I've been really fascinated watching him play this week because he's playing in a way that he just never was able to play with Sabonis. I, I was looking on cleaning the glass. I know I said I was doing it while I was waiting tonight, but I was looking before today and you know, Dylan, he's taking like the most percentage of his shots in the paint like of his career.
0: Like Did you know that? I didn't know that, but after watching, it doesn't surprise me because it, I mean, when you watch, like he seems a lot more comfortable down there and a lot more aggressive and his touch, I think is better too, which is helping that. But yeah, not having Sabonis is clogging up the lane definitely would free that up for him.
1: And I've seen way more roles from him. Like he used to never, like even when it was, you know, on the Paul George teams, Or when it was, you know, the Victor Oladipo teams. He used to, like, never roll, I feel like. And now he's rolling hard to the basket. He's getting, you know, he's creating stuff by rolls. But he still can pop. He's not just exclusively rolling or exclusively popping. And I feel like, Dylan, this Miles Turner is a guy that's going to be, like, he's dangerous. This guy is an actual, like, starting center. You know, we don't have to talk about his defensive contributions. We know I thought he played great defense on Jokic in that game. I know he... (laughs) I know Jokic spurred that comeback in that game, which was ridiculous. (laughs) But I thought he played great on Jokic. And I, I feel like, Dylan, I feel like he's putting it together on the other end, too. And if you get that, that's a really dangerous player.
0: Yeah, it's always been the offensive questions we've had with him. He's he's just never been consistent on that end. And we've seen the ceiling he's had a ton of 30 point games and like, you know, 30 point 15 rebound type of games where he's been unstoppable, but it's never been consistent. And this year it's been a lot more consistent where he's just scoring a lot more points and he's grabbing more rebounds, which, you know, with with is not there. Definitely is not surprising, but I think the scoring thing is more important. And, you know, we've, we've just been waiting for him to put it together. And, and he was, in the preseason talking about this finally being his breakout year. And it's like, man, usually people break out when they're 23, not 28 or whatever, you know? So everyone's kind of making fun of it, but he really is finally hitting that point where he's putting it all together. And, and it's been fun to watch. And it's, it definitely changes things because I think it seemed fairly clear that he was going to be traded like probably by the deadline, just because there's interest and he's, you know, his contract's up after this year. So it made sense to move him. And it made sense to move Heald, too, who is just uh, the epitome of, like, a win-now guy. You know, just a guy you can put on your bench and hit a bunch of open shots. We We see players like him traded every single year. So if he were to be traded still, even though this team's been pretty good, it wouldn't be shocking. But... You know, I, it's good they didn't trade Turner because his, his stock's going up. And, I mean, we're, we were talking about two unprotected picks from the Lakers in, like, 15 years, it seems like. And, and it was – I mean, it's – the Lakers are going to be trashed by that point, so that's kind of the appeal of it. But it's like, man, I don't want to wait six years to get a pick for Miles Turner who's going to be retired by then, basically. So now, now if they want to move him, they don't want to pay him whatever he's, he's going to be worth, which is going to be interesting because center, center contracts are always really fascinating to see go down. And we saw what this summer with DeAndre Ayton that, that teams are not super willing to pay centers a lot of money, even if they're really good. So if the Pacers do want to move him, you know, he's going to be able to fetch a lot more than he would have even like a month ago.
1: Yeah. And Miles is just like a guy who he's someone just the defensive impact alone. I i feel like there's basketball litmus tests for people like, you know, if you understand this player's value, you actually understand basketball. Like I, I feel like for the longest time that was, you know, Draymond Green's the obvious example, right? If you think Draymond Green is just some like yelling loud fool, Right. I don't think you really understand basketball, but if you understand like, oh, Draymond's playing defense in a way we've just never seen before, then it's like, oh, you get it. Like you understand what you're watching. And I think Miles Turner is kind of like a similar thing where it's like the defense is just insane. He's one of the best shot blockers. And I know I know I've Dylan, you know, I've been saying this for years now. The shot doesn't always go in, but teams have to guard him because he can actually make it. Like, I think there's a difference between the percentage doesn't always look great, but if you're always being guarded, like you're a shooter, sometimes you're just going to be, your percentages are going to be off. Like miles. Isn't like Ray Allen, but he's a good enough shooter where you have to take him seriously. And I don't even think Brooke Lopez, Brooke Lopez is one of like he turned himself around. I don't think Brooke Lopez shoots that particularly great but it's a threat of you taking it from out there. And I think if miles is mixing in more inside stuff with that, and like the way he's been hitting the glass this year too, (laughs) that's the, that was the other weakness of his game in all honesty was the rebounding. He was a pretty, I mean, we can be blunt here. He was a pretty weak rebounder for his his position, even when he was the sole five. And I think now that he's, you know, I like what he's been doing this year. I think Jalen Smith has been having a good year on the glass, but I I think Miles has been great on the glass. The Pacers as a whole, I was looking at the stats on cleaning the the team stats. The Pacers have the sixth best offensive rebounding percentage in the league. They're rebounding 30% of their misses right now. That doesn't seem... You think that doesn't seem sustainable, but they did 29% of their misses last year. So... I think maybe this team is just going to hit the glass hard all year. Um, Dylan, I know you want to talk about Ben Matherin. I know that's a guy you've been dying to get thoughts off takes off about. So let's hear what you have to say about Ben Matherin.
0: Well, you know, we just talked about the creator of this group, which is Tyrese Halberd. And, and I've talked about this a lot in this podcast. So people should know what I'm about to say that Ben Matherin is the finisher and every team needs a creator and a finisher or multiple finishers that can just make shots when they get the ball. And Matherin is the guy that does that. I mean, he, he's, he is a guy that is really explosive and is a, I, I want to say he's a three level scorer, even though he hasn't been super efficient in the mid range this year so far. Uh, I, I mean, as a rookie, you know, it's not really that big of a deal, but, He's been an awesome shooter from three, and he's been pretty good around the rim. He has a really nice floater, which any player that drives a lot that can use a floater is – it's a really key element, I think, if you're going to drive the ball a lot because you're not always going to be able to get all the way to the rim. You know, you're going to have the Rudy Go and the Miles Turners of the league that are going to get in the way and block your shot if you want to go all the way. But if you've got the touch to stop three feet short and toss it up and make it, then you're in a pretty good spot. And he's got that. And I know a lot of Pacers fans right now are are mad because he's not playing a ton, which is understandable. And I'm not sure what Carlisle's motivation is with that exactly. But either way, he's, he's looked really good, and really efficient in his time. It's like every game he's just going out there and dropping 20 points, you know. So it's been really fun to watch, and I'm excited to see him get more opportunity and have more of a role because, you know, he, he definitely seems more like a complimentary guy right now and not a featured piece. And I'd be surprised if by the end of the season he's not right there with Tyrese making big plays at the end of the game.
1: I think that's completely fair. I think um, he kind of reminds me and I'm not saying he's this guy but he kind of reminds me of Diet Anthony Edwards. Mm. Like he's just super explosive and he's got a really good jumper but I don't think he's as, spe- like, as wiggly as Edwards is and I don't think he's as you know I don't think like you said the mid range isn't there the way he is by the way um, real quick Pacers fans can get over themselves about the minutes he's playing 28 minutes a game <laughs> that's enough minutes come on the guard room is freaking crowded like oh yes he would probably be more impactful if he was playing six more minutes a game but also his percentages would probably go way down like I do think that there is probably some like he's dominating bench lineups and I, I think there is some element of that but also He killed the Nuggets last week. Like he absolutely destroyed them and he didn't do so great against the Raptors, but he's not going to stop shooting. He's got that. I'm going for it every single time element to his game. And I think that fearlessness is what you need out of your picks like that and your scorers. And I think that's a sign Pacers fans should be encouraged by. And I didn't really take away enough from his defense. I'm going to be honest to be like, Oh, you know, like I'm encouraged or discouraged because it's 13 games into his rookie year <laughs> <laughs> and he's playing on the, on a bottom six defense in the league. Like this team's defense is going to be lackluster all year. Like there's no if, ands or buts about it. Like this team is going to suck on defense and cause Halliburton sucks on defense and the only guy who doesn't suck is miles. Although and TJ McConnell, but Dylan, I think that Matherin, I want to see growth on both sides. Although I don't know how much, <laughs> if this is his peak, I think this is a pretty good guy. You're willing to keep for the rest of your career. Like even if he's just stays as this good, for the rest of his career, doesn't get any better. I think you're willing to live with this result if you're a Pacers fan, Dylan.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to complain about a guy that can even just hit threes at this rate, you know? I mean, as a a rookie to hit shots like this is really impressive. And, you know, it's easy to to project and see, oh, this guy's doing this now. What's he going to do in three or four years? when the team is actually good or whatever. And, and, you know, maybe, maybe he becomes a lot better. Maybe he's John Morant and just takes the leap after leap every year. I don't know. Maybe he will be, or maybe he'll kind of slightly tick up every year and, and top out similarly, similarly to where he's at now. I don't know. We're going to see, but what he's doing now is pretty dang good, whether you're 20 years old or 30 years old, you know? So it's, it's, it's been pretty impressive. And I personally, am not going to get too far ahead of myself with him. I'll get far ahead of myself with Tyrese. I will do that. But with Matherin, I'm, I'm going to just kind of watch and see how it unfolds. And there's a lot of rookies that start topping out in February and March when they're like, wow, I haven't played as many basketball games in my life before <laughs> and they get tired. And, and I think that definitely could happen where his shot really starts to flatten out. You know, that, that's definitely possible. So I, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself with him, but it has been fun to watch so far.
1: Oh, for sure. And, um, I will say we didn't see Chris Duarte this week. I should probably mention that he is out. Um, with an injury, he's out four to six weeks. So it sucks that we didn't get to see him. Here's a question for you about the future of this Pacers team: Is Matherin pushing Duarte out of the long term picture for the Pacers, or do you think they can coexist?
0: I I, I want to I want to think they can coexist. It really you would probably need Duarte to play the three a lot in that scenario, unless you just want to have Duarte come off the bench, the six man, which is very possible and a little disappointing if that's the outcome after what he did last year. But, you know, he was an older player that was drafted and a lot of Pacers fans didn't like it because he was older and they wanted Moses Moody because he's, you know, basically like five years younger than Duarte. So it made sense, but... I don't know. Duarte had a tough start to the year, and then he started coming on a little bit, and then he got hurt. So hard to know exactly what Duarte is going to be. I still really like the that archetype of player, where he's just a knockdown shooter, really good off ball. You know, has some good defending chops. So I don't know. I'm not really sure what's going to happen. You know, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up trading Duarte. You know, over the summer or next year, sometime, and maybe try to get a younger piece back, or, or get a little bit of a bigger guy that fits more with Matherin and, and Halbert. I'm not sure. I could see both ways where they just stick it out and those three figure out how to really play together and it goes really well, or I could see them just trading Duarte and and trying to get something that fits better. So we'll just have to see what happens. And again, right now they're kind of playing with house money being as good as they are, I think they're ahead of schedule for what they expected. So the next year I think is going to be really interesting because the team that we talk are talking about next with Cleveland, we talked about this last year when Garland all of a sudden was awesome and Mobley was really good as a rookie, it put them in a position where they were going from, you know, top five draft pick type of team to, wow, we're actually like a playoff contender now. Should we kind of get rid of our timeline and make a big trade? And they ended up doing that and getting Donovan Mitchell and Detroit on the other hand, there's another team kind of like that. They didn't make necessarily as big a trade getting Bojan on Bogdanovich, but they clearly signal that they're done rebuilding. They have two guys, at least two guys. They have, three or four or five guys they really like that are young, but really good. And they think they're better than being a top five draft pick type of team. So they got rid of their timeline and they've turned more to competing. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Pacers follow that same trajectory and end up making some trades for a little bit older players that help them win now. For sure. Let's,
1: Real quick, Dylan, there's some young guys on this team that intrigue me. Let's rapid fire through some of them. Jalen Smith, he's starting at four for this team. Do you like him starting next to Miles Turner slash, you know, when they trade him, Isaiah Jackson? How are we feeling about Jalen Smith right now?
0: Um, I like him. I don't love him. That's kind of where I stand. You know, he he definitely has some moments, especially defensively, where he just really slips and we saw this last year, obviously he defensively lapses a lot. He has the talent to, to be decent on defense. He just hasn't really shown that consistently and he's still pretty dang young. So I'm going to give him a break on that offensively. I mean, I like what he can bring. I think he's a good compliment to miles. I don't think he gets in the way or anything like that. I think I think he complements him well. He can shoot too. You know, he can take guys off the dribble. He's athletic. He's a guy that can catch lobs. I mean, he can do a lot. So I I, I like him so far. And uh, I'm not opposed to keeping him in the starting unit for sure.
1: Um, Isaiah Jackson, speaking of him, I liked his minutes a lot. I think he is probably the future of this team at starting five. Like, I, I just like his minutes a lot. I've saw seen some flashes of him. Like, there was one position where he just shut down Gary Trent. Gary Trent tried to get past him. I think you know exactly what play I'm talking about. Gary Trent tried to drive by him, and he just, like, smothered him. Dylan, do you think Isaiah Jackson is going to be the guy? Do you think Isaiah Jackson will be the reason they trade Miles Turner?
0: Maybe. Maybe. he's He's not as good as Miles Turner, you know? So but if you trade,
1: if you oh, sorry to interject, if you trade Miles Turner though, that's your intent of like, oh, we're gonna be bad. I think Isaiah Jackson is showing a lot of. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I think Isaiah Jackson is showing a lot of flash and could be good in a couple years' time as like a changing up the guard kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I, I I definitely think that's a possible path, and I'm not not necessarily against it either. I mean, I think watching Jackson reminds me a lot of like Nerlens Noel type of guy, you know, and Nerlens Noel at his peak was like defensive player of the year type of guy. I mean, he was really, really good on defense and on offense had some versatility too. And I think Isaiah Jackson is even a little bit more versatile than him. And he doesn't have to do a ton on offense, uh, but he makes some good plays. He's strong down low and, He's, uh, he's got good hands and good touch, you know, so wouldn't surprise me if, if they end up moving on to, to Jackson sooner rather than later, but I'm not all, I'm not against him also just being a really good rotation big for now and, and kind of let him develop a little bit more.
1: This week, um, apparently early in the season was the Terry Taylor show. I haven't seen much of Terry, Terry Taylor, but this week was the O'Shea Brissett show. Dylan, I think he's a guy, just real quick, I think he's a guy you want to keep around for the future.
0: Yeah, I've always loved Brissett. I think, and this is, seems so hyperbolic, but I really think he's one of the best off-ball players in the league. Like, he is just so good at moving. He always gets open three. always. He's just always open for three when he gets the ball. And he's a really good cutter, too. Like, it sounds insane to call him one of the best off-ball players in the league, but he is just when he's on the court, he gets buckets and it's because he's a great mover.
1: And last but not least, one of our favorite Celtics, Aaron Nesmith, Dylan, how have you liked the Aaron Nesmith minutes for the Indiana Pacers?
0: I didn't have a ton of expectations for him because of what we saw in Boston, but I, I, I did like what, what we saw from him in Boston a little bit. And he's had some good minutes this year for sure. I think he's got potential. I think he's shown a little bit more on offense this year than we saw with him in Boston. And I definitely think he's got potential as a wing defender. So I'm, I'm happy to have him around and, and hopefully he gets, you know, consistent minutes this year to, to show and develop a little bit more. Cause I, I definitely think he's got a future in the league.
1: Yeah. The jumper is not going in for him right now, but he's got a nice one. Um, and I think that the defense I've loved his defense this year. Like, you could tell he's a guy who's been getting after it. Like, he has someone in his ear telling him, hey, you need to play hard. You need (laughs) to get after it. Like, both of those Celtics guys from that draft... Actually, I don't think Linkford and uh, Neesmith are from the same draft, but, you know, I have the same idea there. Like, both of those guys, kind of similar to each other to me. And someone's gotten in both of their ears because they're both playing really hard this year from what what I've seen from the Spurs and then Neesmith... (laughs) They're both playing really hard this year. So someone's telling them, hey, this is your last shot. Make sure you don't screw it up. Um, So let's go ahead and move on to your Cleveland Cavaliers, the team you really wanted to do. You're like, please, please save me the Cleveland Cavaliers. Well, I think we picked about the worst time to do them. (laughs) They are on the schneid right now. They're on a five game losing streak. Um, I should have said the Pacers record. They're seven and six. The Cavaliers are eight and six. I'm not doing seeds yet. Um, it's too early for that. I think the next couple weeks though, Dylan, might be time to start doing seeds. I think we're getting to that point of the season. It's already almost a quarter of the way through the season. But last week, last Friday, they lost to the Warriors 106, 101, lost to the Timberwolves, 124 to 129 in a game where Darius (laughs) Garland scored 51 points. And then last night got shellacked by the Bucks in Milwaukee. 113 to 98. Um Yeah, they this season has been weird. They lost opening night. They won eight straight games after that. And now they're in the midst of a five-game losing streak. You would think they have a streak buster on Friday. They're playing the Hornets at home. They have a nice little, not nice little, because it's gonna be competitive, but they have the Hornets, Heat, Hawks, and Trailblazers. I think they're better than all those teams. That being said, Dylan, um, are you concerned about the Cavs, or is this just a little like bump in the road, and they're gonna just get over it?
0: (laughs) I'm not too concerned because Jared Allen's missed some time—not a ton of time—but he has, you know, basically missed this whole week, and I think that has really hurt them. I mean, Jared Allen—we've talked about him plenty on this podcast. The guy's a stud, okay. And Cleveland was by far – well, I don't want to say by far, but they, I think they were the winner of that Harden trade. I mean, all the picks that Houston's getting like that is probably actually the winner. But, man, they just got in the mix, threw out a first-round pick, a late first-round pick, and got freaking Jared Allen. And he's just been so good. And, and he was really good last year with Mobley. And having those two guys down low together is just – really hard on both ends of the floor to deal with. So him not being out there this week has hurt them, especially on defense, I think. But the one thing that I'm concerned about with this team is their wing situation is just really thin. And we, we kind of knew that, you know, when they made the trade to get Mitchell, they gave up some of that depth. They gave up all-star Lowry Markinen, you know, they gave up some big, some big time pieces there. But he, even last year, they were thin at thin at wing. I mean, they've got Chetty Osmond right now, who's probably been the most consistent guy. Uh, but I don't know. Like, he's still not super impressive to me either. You know, they, they started Lamar Stevens last night, and he's just kind of whatever. Karis LeVert has played a lot of minutes at the three, which is just never a good thing to have. <laughs> I think offensively, it's fine. But defensively, you're going to have some trouble. So... I think if possible, they need to upgrade the wing spot because Akoro. I just he's not good enough offensively, and we knew this was possible. We talked about it last year. It it just seemed pretty clear that he was just never going to be that good of an offensive player unless he started taking some really crazy strides. But th- I think that's that's really their weak spot right now, and when they have injuries that weak spot shows up more because when you've got the, the big four, you don't need a ton else. You know, when you've got especially Mobley Le- uh, Mitchell and Garland, those three guys are going to score you a lot of points and they're going to cover a lot of problems. But when you have any kind of injuries, that glaring three spot really becomes clearing.
1: And this might sound like a joke, um they are missing dean wade (laughs) exactly
0: that's exactly their problem they're missing dean wade and it's a problem
1: (laughs) dean wade is actually really good um which again you said it's a problem i think i choose to look at it like i choose to embrace our kansas state overlords Mm -hmm. um in all seriousness like I agree 1,000%. I think LeVert's better started off the bench. Truth be told, I think there's some pick and roll chemistry with him and Allen that they haven't even exploited yet. Like even in the games I've seen with the two of them playing. Like, and because they had all that experience for all those years in Brooklyn, you just, there's so much institutional knowledge between the two of them. I don't understand why you don't take more advantage of that. Like those two were a playoff team. (laughs) And I know it wasn't a bad Eastern Conference. (laughs) But that's still good like that's still gonna kill bench units. It's going to destroy bench units. I would trust, like I think, okay, Levert, you're gonna get fifteen minutes a game with Jared Allen. You are going to dominate those the ball in those minutes, and you're gonna you guys are gonna just run roughshod over benches. I don't think that's the worst way to use Levert. I don't think you start starting three in this league. Okoro is shooting seven percent from three right now. That is not a typo. He is one for 14, I think, if my math is right. Yes, one for 14. <laughs> on. He's one for 14 on threes, 13 for 25 on twos, which, you know, is pretty good. But I was watching, like, just watching some of the games. They're ignoring him now. They're just saying, OK, we're going to let you shoot it now. What are they going to do in the playoffs when he's out there? Yes, he's an incredible defensive player he's not Tony Allen. He's not necessary to what you're doing out there. And especially at that three spot, like when you have a two as good as Donovan Mitchell and listen, I'm, I've given Donovan Mitchell a lot of flack in the past. Holy shit. He's been playing amazing so far, like on both sides. I can't say enough good about him so far. Like the way he's been moving the way he's been like on both sides, just Everything about his game so far has been amazing to me. But Okoro your point about the hole at the three is so so crucial, especially because I don't think Mobley has taken that step forward like if Mobley had taken the step forward offensively, I think we projected he would. I don't think this would be as big of a concern. But and I I think Mobley got really hyped last year for understandable reasons. <laughs> But I think we kind of overlooked the fact that he was stepping into a really good environment for him. <laughs> like, I don't know if you saw my top 100 Dylan. I had Darius Garland in my top 25 and I don't think a lot of people blinked like, and Jerry Allen was an all-star last year. He stepped into that environment and he, he thrived. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> But I think we kind of were like, oh my gosh, this rookie's so amazing. He's going to be so much better next year. I I think we kind of needed to temper expectations for him and for the other guy who is placed in that awesome environment who might be playing north of the border. I'm not naming any names. I'm just making incredibly obvious who I'm talking about. Um, I think Mobley is a really good offensive player. I think we just might need to talk about him like he's Bam instead of like KG or AD. Because I think a lot of people were getting, including myself, by the way, but a lot of people were getting ahead of themselves and saying he was going to be, you know, the next one. He might not be that and that's okay. But I was watching, he tried to dribble past Draymond one time and Draymond just like laughed (laughs) (laughs) and just stripped the ball away from him. And it's like, Evan, my guy, I appreciate what you're trying to do, but this is one of the best defenders in the history of the NBA. (laughs) You're not that like on defense. He is that guy on offense. He's not that guy. And that's okay. But I think what also needs to happen is he needs to develop a jump shot. Like if he's not going to be that guy. And right now he's at 18% from three. Um, The mid-range jumper is there. Dylan. I I just don't see the 3 point jumper but enough of my rambling. What have you seen from Mobley so far in year 2?
0: Yeah, I, we definitely crowned him last year. We definitely I think word for word actually called him the next AD. That was probably mostly me talking uh there. And I I still think it's possible. I still think it's possible. Okay. I I don't want to I don't want to take a step back too far even though, you know, being bam would be pretty dang good too, but I don't know. I would like to see him as a, a 20 point scorer and one of the best defenders in the league. You know, I still think there's, there's time for that, but he does need to get, become a better three point shooter and and work on the dribbling a little bit, you know, but he's really young and he is playing with a, He's playing with a team that I think would allow him to develop pretty well though because and we're going to talk about this more but I just I think Mitchell and Garland together are like the perfect balance offensively and you know in an ideal world everyone else around them should benefit from that. So this is a good situation for Mobley to get better on offense and it's going to take time, you know, it may take a couple of years for him to really blossom offensively because he got pretty used to just dominating everyone because of his size, you know, in college. And now he's at a level where he can't dominate guys as much. And he still is capable of dominating people. There's a lot of people in the league that he does dominate, but you know, his, what, what he is down low, we already know, but it's the outside game that's, a little bit more important as far as how good of a player he can become. So it's going to take time and I would like to see it happen sooner rather than later, but he's very, very young. And we always talk about how, how tough it is for bigs to develop in their early years. So, you know, I, I think we should definitely pump the brakes a little bit, but I still think he's got a really high ceiling.
1: I mean, you talked about the environment for shooters, and like how this like is an ideal environment. I think you were talking about Lavert earlier. When's the last time Karis Levert shot 41% from three? Like, I know he's not doing great inside the arc, but as a floor spacer, Karis Vert is like killing it this year. Um, Dean Wade is shooting 50% from three. Kevin Love is shooting 40% from three on six attempts a game. You know, Mitchell is himself is shooting 42% from three on nine attempts a game. Garland is shooting 42% from three on nine attempts and eight attempts a game. So the environment is there. I don't think, I think he's a really good mid range shooter, but he might, you know, again, if he's just bam, there's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think, you know, the coronation might've happened a little prematurely, which sometimes, you know, it just happens with NBA. Like, especially with guys like Mobley who are so talented at that age. But um, let's talk about Mitchell. <laughs> we got to talk about Mitchell. He didn't play. He played last night, but I, he didn't play in the um, game where Garland had 51. It's been kind of a weird after Garland came back because Garland missed the first couple of games but Mitchell right now is averaging 31 points a game, 50% from the field on. And like I said, 42% from three, um, six assists a game, which I'm pretty sure would be a career high. He would probably be averaging more if he was in a different system. 1.4 steals a game, which I don't think is a career high, but it's still pretty good. Um, Dylan, I just feel like the way Mitchell is moving, is lending itself to winning basketball, and I don't like i i feel like he wasn't doing that in utah <laughs> and am I crazy for saying this version of donovan mitchell is
0: so much more
1: <laughs> is so much more fun of a player than the other guy
0: yeah i mean he we we had our we had our our problems with utah donovan mitchell i mean we we talked about it a lot on this podcast that he just he had a lot of iffy moments. I mean, the playoff record as a whole. Again, that one series against Denver was awesome. Everything else has been pretty bad, and he's had a lot of games where it's like, oh man, Donovan Mitchell shot eighteen for forty tonight, or eighteen for forty-five, or whatever, and and it's it was becoming too common to not become worried about it and we talked about that a lot and his passing has come along but it's taken a while which you know coming out of college I guess we should have expected that he wasn't necessarily you know Tyrese Halberton in college so it's not surprising but one thing I, I see when I watch him right now and I think he was like this in Utah too, but it, it seems a little bit more apparent in Cleveland is I think he might be the best player in the league at dealing with double teams. I mean, he handles it so well. He rarely makes mistakes and you're going to make mistakes when you're handling a double team. Cause it's just a lot of defensive pressure. If a team can do it right, you can set up the ball handler to really, make a mistake, make a bad pass, make a turnover, shoot a dumb shot. But he's really, he's really good at just splitting them all together. He's a, he's got a great handle. He's very explosive, but what's even more important is what you do after you break that double team, because if you're just a, a one track mind, like he's been in the past and you just are going to go straight to the bucket, you're going to pull up for a mid range jump shot. You know, it's not as impressive because it's like, well, you made one decision right, but you made the next one wrong. And, you know, sometimes the shots go in, obviously. But when you break a double team, that means it's four on three. So there's going to be an open guy somewhere. And I feel like Mitchell this year has been really good at finding that open guy, not always shooting the open shot that he has, looking for a better shot. And that has helped Garland a lot. Because somehow Garland is the one that's open. And if you're a defensive team and Darius Garland is the one open guy, then you have done a horrible job, just horrible job. (laughs) Because Darius Garland for the next 10, 15 years is going to be one of the most lethal shooters and scorers in general in this league. I really believe that. And when he's open, he's going to make it a good amount of times. And Mitchell has recognized that. He's gotten the ball to Garland a lot. And Garland has made teams pay. And I really think that's why those two together has been so fun to watch. And it's why I wanted to talk about them because you notice really early on in the season. I mean, it was kind of amazing how quickly Mitchell assimilated into this roster and just kind of took over, but he took over while also being able to play with Garland really well and balancing it out. So he's not just leaving Garland in the corner like Colin Sexton would do at times. So it's really been fun to watch those two. I think the balance has been so good. They both get the ball enough where they're going to be happy, you know, it's not going to be a situation where Garland is frustrated because he's not getting the ball enough or vice versa. So it's just it's just been great to watch those two and I'm excited as they get more chemistry how it's going to continue to to develop.
1: I agree wholeheartedly like watching the way Mitchell, I want to talk about Mitchell. Cause I think Garland deserves his own segment. Cause you know, I'm a huge Garland fan. Um, actually I think we can kind of mix them together here. Garland. I think what Mitchell does for Garland is that he allows Garland to move back into a, like I'm going to play more of a pure point guard role. I think that's where he's more comfortable. I don't think he liked what he had to do last year. I don't think he liked having to carry the team like that. He's like, okay, I'll do it. But I think in his mind, ideally he's like, okay, I'll score 17 in a game. I'll get nine assists and I'm going to make my teammates a lot better. Right. I'm going to make the right pass. I'm going to get the ball where it needs to go. I'm going to get the ball to the better scorers. And I think Donovan Mitchell, (laughs) I don't think there's a lot of things he's better at than Darius Garland. One of them that he is better at is scoring the basketball. (laughs) he is a better scorer of the basketball than Darius Garland is. And that man, when like the way he sets his feet on a pull up jumper, that's one thing that's always like startling to me. Like he's so quick at like, okay, I have an advantage here. I'm going to pull up real quick. I, I created just enough space where I, and his arms are so long too. You can't block his jumpers. It's insane. And I need to see this in the playoffs, right? I need to see, them in the playoffs like this arrangement in the playoffs because this is a weird team (laughs) it's a weird team like last year they were a bigger team with a coro and marketing this year they're a smaller team like objectively but the offense is so much better than it was last year like so much better and I think a lot of that is allowing Garland to play to his strengths and just be a pure point guard I don't like again I think Garland if he wanted to he could be Dame Lillard like easily. I don't think there's any doubt in my mind. He, it, he probably is this generation's name Miller, but in reality, like he's going to probably just average 17 and 10 and be content doing that. And that, to me, is the sign of like a true winner. When you don't care how much you average, you just want to get like a true a true pure point guard. How many of those guys do we have in the league right now? Like genuinely asking. <laughs> point guard is such like a okay. I'm going to run, pick, and roll, and I know how to set people up, but I need to get mine, too. Like, I, Chris Paul is like that. I mean, out of the starters, is there anyone else
0: really like that in the league anymore? It's definitely not definitely not as common as it once was. I mean, this the league has changed a lot, and Chris Paul is definitely... Your dad's or your older brother's, you know, pure point guard. We don't. We definitely don't see it as much nowadays.
1: It's that's definitely true. Do you have any last thoughts on Garland before we move on to the Memphis Grizzlies?
0: I mean, not a ton to add to it, but you know, I just the, the guy we're about to talk about, John Morant. I, I really think the league is in such a great spot with with Morant and Garland. And those kind of guys, because when I watch Garland, I I think the same things that I think when I watch Morant, where it's like, this guy knows exactly what he wants to do. And he does it. (laughs) That's a very important and because a lot of guys know what they want to do, but they can't do it. Darius Garland knows what he wants to do and he's able to do it. And it's just really fun to watch. He's such a smooth player. He's got a beautiful shot. He's he's a great passer. I mean, he's just really the full package and I just can't wait to keep watching him and, and watch him with Mitchell. Cause I really think those two together can do a lot and they can cause a lot of pain in the Eastern conference.
1: I think they can too. Do you mind if I rapid fire real quick before we go to the Grizzlies, like sure. just do some rapid fire commentary. I think Shetty Osman probably should just be starting. like. Yeah he's great. good enough to start. I don't know why he's not like, I know he's probably like the 30th best starter in the league, but he probably should just be starting for them. Like
0: he's, he's a great compliment to what they already have.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. No,
0: that was really, it. Yeah. I mean, he's just a great compliment to what they have. He, He's a good off-ball player. He cuts well. He always runs on fast breaks. Good finisher. Good shooter. You know, like that's they don't need a ton else from that.
1: Yeah, he's got good size. I mean, I know we we can run this Dean Wade. I I talk about Dean Wade, but he's not better than Shetty Osmond. Like he he's just not. Okoro um, and Love are going to be problems come playoff time. I think. I think Love. For the defense reason, and I think Aquiro for the reason we already talked about. I don't think you can play Kevin Love in the playoffs. Um, I'm really curious to see what Ricky Rubio looks like when he comes back. Because <laughs> I think this team needs a Ricky Rubio. Like how Neto, no disrespect. I he's I don't know how he's hung on this long. But um shout out to him. And also Last one, last one before we move on to the Grizzlies. Justice for Lamar Stevens. This guy should be playing way more than he is. I don't know why he's not. He is so under, like so underrated by his own team. I don't know understand why. Like he's so good, <laughs> not good, but I, he's a good role player, and this team needs role players. He was good for them last year. I don't. I don't understand it, Dylan Hughes, but I guess some things are not meant for me to understand. <laughs> Did not mean to hit you with such existential wisdom on a Thursday night, <laughs> but here we are. Um, the Memphis Grizzlies. <laughs> the last week, um, they beat the Minnesota Timberwolves 114 to 103. They lost to the Washington Wizards 102 to 92. And then they. Lost to the Pelicans, 113 to 102, two developments real quick before I let you start Dylan, wherever you want to go, because this team, you could go a ton of different ways. Desmond Bain is out for a couple of weeks with a toe injury, but I think I think they just said two to three weeks, so he should be back probably by December. The other key development, which I'm sure you saw and I'm sure you saw in the Pelicans game, is that Jaron Jackson Jr. is back, folks. He is back. I think people thought he was going to be out longer than he actually was. Um, And we could talk about him. I mean, he only played one game. <laughs> They're not playing again until tomorrow, and I'm guessing sh- he probably won't play against Oklahoma City. But, Dylan, where do you want to start with the Memphis Grizzlies?
0: Well... I think I want to talk about Desmond Bain, who's hurt right now, but uh, I mean, him and Morant, like, I think they are the next Stephen Clay. I really do. They are just amazing, and Desmond Bain, I really think, is the next Clay Thompson. I mean, this guy is just unbelievable, and he's you could even say he's more well rounded on offense he may not have the same ceiling as a shooter, like the 60 point type of shield, uh, ceiling. He may not have the same upside as a defender, even though he might, he might where he's able to lock down a guy like Kyrie in the finals. I don't know. He may not, but maybe he does. I don't want to go too far here, but let's, I,
1: let's not go too far. Let's just say, I don't think his defense will be as good, but continue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it will either, but Hey, I, my, my time for hot takes is reduced now. So I have to fire them off as much as I can. Um, Fair enough. Fair enough. But I mean, the guy is just unbelievable. And, and, you know, I think for a couple of years there, it seemed like, oh, he'll be a good compliment to John Morant. And now it's like, he's, you know, he's not as good as John Morant, but man, there's some nights where that dude is the reason they won the game and there's just no denying it. And I just... I really just love watching this Grizzlies team. And they're such a strong organization. They just always draft the right guys, it seems like. They like they draft too many guys. They draft too many guys. Like Xavier Tillman doesn't play because they just they drafted so well that they are finally giving our boy Brandon Clark the shine and the playing time he deserves. It took some time but he's finally become a very vital key part of their team. So I'm really happy about that. But I mean, really like it's hard to just focus on one player even because just watching them and and every game is kind of different. Like you're always going to have the jaw games, and the Desmond Bain games, but there's some games where Dylan Brooks goes off. There's some games where Steven Adams is just awesome and really holding things down. There's some games where Tyus Jones, is really good. Like they, they just have so many freaking good players. They're, they're so deep and they're just so stable, you know, and, and that's pretty rare because there's a lot of teams in this league that are good, but man, like Philly is the first one I think of where they're just, they're good, but they're just unstable. They don't, they don't ever have depth. They always have some sort of issues, and this Memphis team is like the polar opposite of that. They just, no matter how many guys get hurt, there's always someone there to step up and, and fill in the shoes and play well. And, and they've gotten this team to the point where Jaron Jackson is like bonus. It's like, if Jaron Jackson's not there, okay. They still can make the West finals. You know, they're that good. If he is there though, and if he can knock down four or five threes, then man, they are really dangerous. And I don't want to rely on Jared Jackson because if you ever bet money on him playing more than 60 games, you probably are, are down pretty big right now. But if that guy's healthy, I mean in that in that in the, the Pelicans game, he had five blocks and he was pretty terrible outside of that. But like that's what he is, you know, like he's just a a super talented dude that can't stay on the floor. But They've they've just done such a good top job putting this team together where they are able to have guys step up and just be awesome.
1: Yeah, I think I want to go through each guy that they've drafted in the last couple of years because we didn't see Santi Aldama at all last year, and this year he's actually... He was filling in for the Jackson Minutes, and I thought one of our friends who says I mentioned his name way too much, whose podcast he might have been on, um, again not making it incredibly obvious who I'm talking about. Uh, he doesn't. He thinks Aldama sucks, but Dylan, I think that Aldama is like, I think Aldama's fine. I don't think he's that bad, but the fact that they just have this guy, they can just plug him in until Sharon comes back. Right. As you were saying, the fact that they just have, you know, they just draft David Roddy. They just draft Jake Olavea. Those two guys are perfect for them. Like absolutely perfect. They don't even miss DeAnthony Melton. They don't miss him at all. I thought they were going to miss him so much. I thought like oh my gosh, this is one of the biggest losses in the league. Nope. Not at all. I don't I don't even think they've I don't I haven't heard Chris Vernon talk about him once. Um in all seriousness like they it's a lot of just interchangeable parts. Is Dylan Brooks the embodiment of Wario? Like Ooh. the real life Wario, just in every aspect. I, I I don't think there's a better human embodiment of Wario than Dylan Brooks.
0: I I don't know if he has the same ass as Wario. That's one thing. Who does? I'll throw out there. But everything else, you'd have it. to go see Doctor Miami. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean Dylan Brooks, i I love the man, and you know what's funny is like I was thinking about this the other day when watching them he Dylan Brooks is Desmond Bane if Desmond Bain just was an insane person that just like well like, like oh, he's like bipolar Desmond Payne I would he say. he's Desmond Bain's Wario yeah. and Desmond Bain is Mario yeah, exactly
1: he, like to, he thinks he can do everything. And it's so many times. I don't. This is the problem. I think they have a Dylan Brooks problem. I, I don't want to talk about that first. I do want to talk about Desmond Bain. You brought up the Clay thing. I think his offensive ceiling is higher than Clay's. Because unlike Clay, he can actually dribble. Yeah. And defensively, he's not Clay. <laughs> and that's the difference, right? I think what we forget, and not just. You brought up the defense for Clay, so you didn't forget it. But what the general public forgets about Clay is his defense was so crazy good during his prime. You could stick him on any guard. And obviously, he had Draymond behind him, but he could stick with any guard. He was so quick on the defensive end that it didn't matter that Steph was. A liability back then Now he's Now Steph is the one Who's not a liability But Prime play on defense Was a menace And I don't think Desmond Bain is that quick I think that's the only Difference to me Desmond Bain has more Of a bag Um Cause what he can do And I don't think 25 points a game Is sustainable For Desmond Bain I'm gonna go out On a limb and say it But I think he could Average like 23 A game I don't think That's crazy For a whole season Like 22 23 Cause he's such a good shooter. Like right now, 46, 45, 91 shooting splits. Um, I don't really see any of those going down too much. And he's been getting to the line a good amount, like five times a game, which is good for a player like him. You know who Desmond Bain reminds me of actually Desmond Bain kind of reminds me of modern rep Hamilton. Hmm. Like I like that. Rip is like, I think we forgot about Rip. Like he's the forgotten member of the um, Pistons group, especially because you know Tayshaun had the chase down block on, on Reggie, and he shut down Kobe in the finals. So he's always like, oh, you know that team was so you know had five good players, no superstars. But I still think people just don't remember Rip Hamilton. He was a really good. He had a good dribble. He could score. Like he could run off of picks. If. Desmond Bain is Rip Hamilton. I don't think that's the worst thing for this team. And I don't think if Ja is like a better Chauncey Billups, what I'm saying, Dylan, is I could see this. <laughs> what I'm saying, Dylan, is that the Grizzlies are the 0-4 Pistons.
0: <laughs> I would love that. I, I wish I was alive to see the, or I was alive, but I wish I was old enough uh, or cared about basketball in 4 I was 7, so I wasn't was more interested in in PS2 or something but I uh I wish I was around to watch that team so if this is the modern iteration of that then I'm really happy
1: but um we should talk about Ja Ja's looked incredible this year and did you see that dunk he had the other day <laughs> where he switched hands in midair I don't think I did they were who are they playing? They were playing somebody. He thought he got they were playing. It was last night. It was against the Pel- or Not last night. It was Tuesday night against the Pelicans. He thought he got fouled. I think he dunked over Alvarado. And he switched hands in midair and dunked it like he was going up with his right. And then just in midair decides, nope, I'm going to dunk it with my left. <laughs> he's just doing stuff like that. and it, Like, it's like not even as crazy as it used to be. And he's making 40 percent of his threes. <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think it's safe to say when he's healthy he's probably a top 10 player in the league is that in is that a fair statement dylan
0: dude I, i'm so in love with him that you could call him a top five player and i would be on board i mean he is just so freaking fun to watch i i was watching the minnesota game they had i think it was last friday There was a – you know, we all talk about his crazy dunks and layups and his passes and all that. Uh, He had a play – I don't know – I don't remember who threw it to him or whatever or who he passed it to, but he was on a fast break and his teammate passed the ball up court to him. He was on the left side of the hoop. And the ball came up on his left. So it was pretty clear that he was, he was going to have a really tough time turning that into a, a, a bucket. He just very quickly got the ball in his left hand without even looking past the guy behind him. And it was just a wide open layup. And it was like one of those plays where you like gasp because it's like so freaking good. It's like, how is this guy going to turn that pass into a play? And he was able to do it without even looking at his teammate. Like, that's the kind of stuff he's able to do. And and that's the kind of stuff that LeBron does that's so shocking, you know? There's not that many players in the league that can make plays like that. And Ja is one of them. I mean, he is so good. They're so fun to watch. And the pull-up shooting being what it's at right now, and a lot of those are coming from the top of the key, which, hey, you know, whatever gets it done. The top of the key, everyone says the corner three is the easiest because it's the shortest. I, I've always said it's the top of the key if anyone's played basketball before, I think it's like, you're staring straight at the square, shoot towards the square. You're going to make it like it's the easiest shot in basketball if you're open. So a lot of them come from up there, but you know, whatever gets it done. So it's having him be able to shoot just opens it up and he doesn't even need his game to open up. He's so fast and quick. He doesn't even need a shot. And we've said that for years, it doesn't really matter. He's one of those players they can overcome the lack of a shot because he's so freaking fast and he'll throw himself at the rim and land on the floor hard, not even care. So he's just, he always gets it done and he is just one of my favorite offensive players, maybe of all time to watch. I mean, he is just unbelievably good.
1: You threw out LeBron's name there. And I think calling Jock or LeBron, I don't think that's crazy. I like in a lot of aspects because he's a good finisher like a great finisher he's so explosive but he's at the same time one of the he's always the smartest guy on the court he knows where everybody is and he's terrifying you don't want to get chased down blocked by ja i actually I, i'm stealing that i'm going to make that my take um even though you kind of said it you didn't actually make it your take so it's my take now thanks dylan in all seriousness his it like he's in between game the floaters. He's just unstoppable when he gets going. I mean, he was unstoppable against Golden State. I think he had forty seven in game two last year. And if this is his prime, the rest of the league should be terrified. Especially if Bane is this good, they might not even need another star. Like you know, I've been on the star to the Grizzlies bandwagon for a while. Like, you know, I've been like, oh, get Jalen Brown to the Grizzlies, get Bradley Beal to the Grizzlies, get whoever to the Grizzlies. I don't I don't think they might they might just need like a guy. Like a guy upgrade over Steven Adams and you could just give Washington a call.
0: <laughs>
1: I'm not going to let this Daniel Gafford thing go. I'm really not.
0: Please don't, don't. We need someone fighting for this cause.
1: <laughs> um, but Steven Adams even isn't like in the regular season. I compared Steven Adams to Tim Wakefield. Just like he's going to throw 200 innings, get you a four or five ERA, but you don't have to go to your bullpen until the sixth inning every game. And you know, Steven Adams is averaging five offensive rebounds a game right now. Not surprised. Not <laughs> he's surprised. just a monster. And Conchar is playing 27 minutes a game. Tyus Jones is killing it for them. Brandon Clark, like you said, killing it. Let's talk about the young guys because we've already talked about Tyus Jones. We talked about Brandon Clark enough. Although you probably don't think there is such a thing as talking about Brandon Clark enough. I know you love David Roddy. I just know you loved watching that guy. Did you have any David Roddy thoughts?
0: I mean, nothing. nothing really super specific or anything, but he again. He he is just a guy, and, and Jake LaRavia, kind of the same deal. Where it's like, you could just completely skip the off season every single year, and you know there's going to be a Grizzlies rookie that you've probably never heard of that's going to be in the rotation and is going to be good, and that's what we're seeing right now. And I mean, trading Melton was obviously hurt my soul a little bit, but I knew it would work out because this is just what Memphis does, you know. Memphis makes good moves. They made a really good move to get Melton. Uh and, you know, we're seeing we're seeing the the flip side where they move him and and get Roddy and he's he's been good. I mean, there's this is just the the grit and grind machine. They just they just push out good players every single year.
1: I agree. The only complaint I have is that Kenneth Lofton Jr. hasn't played enough um that guy dominated <laughs> Wimbenyama Yama in the U-19s. Yes, I'm that much of a nerd where I watch the U-19s. I watched women Yama before it was cool folks <laughs> <laughs> Um would have watch him soon, man you you haven't watched women Yama yet? I mean,
0: I I haven't seen like a full game. Um, oh,
1: I've, you gotta! You should find those games that he played against Scoot on YouTube. If they ha- you know, they're actually showing his games on
0: League Pass. Oh, Victors. really? Hmm. Okay. Well, that makes it easy, and I've already paid for the one the mm-hmm. experience. So.
1: Yes, and I think they're showing Scoot's games on YouTube too. On uh, uh not on YouTube on League Pass too. Those two guys, man. <laughs> The league is going to be scary next year. Listen, you better hope the Pacers get a top five pick. I know we were talking about it earlier. Um, I'm hoping. Those but. two guys are legit prospects. Um, I, I do want to talk about real quick. I think Conchar, I still can't believe that guy's a rotation player, but he is. He is. And he's good. He's good. <laughs> he's a good shooter. He knows what he's doing. He's a good defender. Still, I, I just can't believe that guy. I never thought that guy would be anything in this league. And that's why I don't give up on Aldama Because if that guy's a rotation player, anyone can be a rotation player for this team.
0: Yeah, Contar is an IPFW product, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, shout out to him for representing Indiana. I mean the uh the purdue or the fort wayne branch of iu purdue is uh not not ever exposed to the public for the most part uh so or to the national audience i should say so shout out to to for for representing um but yeah and again this is just what happens with the grizzlies man they just put they put white guys in there and they just make plays i mean it's like I don't wanna make it a race thing, but it does seem to be what happens. They just throw a, a white guy you've never heard of out there, and it works out so um, you know we're, we're just we're continuing to see that and i and I really do like Conchar too. He has some really good minutes just out there knocking down wide open shops. you know you love to see it you
1: absolutely do um I think Dylan, no hyperbole, I think this is one of our my favorite podcasts we've ever done. um I think we killed it. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Do you have anything to plug? Plug the tour cuz I know you're going back out next week. So make sure you plug the tour. You said you have a show in Bloomington coming up, right?
0: Yes, we will be at the Buzz Kirk Chumley Theater uh on uh, Saturday, the the day after Black Friday. So I'm sure for for many for many people it will be red red Saturday because their money will all be spent on Friday. So we'll be there on and it's also IU Purdue so you can call it red red Saturday if you're an IU fan which hopefully you're not Um, but yeah we'll be all we'll be all throughout the Midwest the next few weeks we're gonna be in Chicago on the 10th if you're in Chicago area come see us Fitzgerald's Uh, we're gonna be in Cincinnati on New Year's Eve you know we got some fun stuff coming up
1: this is news to me I'm gonna have to check this out so uh, I'll I'll keep you posted, Dylan Hughes. Um, Let's plug our other podcast. JD's not here, but make sure you check out Facts and Stats. He uh, had a podcast about the emei Yudoka situation. You don't want to miss that. JD's always got insightful knowledge about every situation. Yeah, I don't know how he does it. He's just smarter than both of us, I think. I'm comfortable saying that. I don't know if you're comfortable saying that, Dylan, but I'm comfortable saying JD's smarter than me.
0: Yeah, I'll say it, man. I mean, I, I've told him this before, like that podcast is just awesome. And I really am not saying that just because I'm friends with him. It's, it's a podcast. Like it's so insightful. He always gets good guests on and Hey, maybe I've been on there a few times. I don't know. Maybe I have <laughs> those guests, but he, he just always has really smart people on and really unique uh, perspectives on things. And that, that podcast is, is really, really worth listening to. It's got a lot of important conversations on there.
1: Yes, make sure you check out JD stuff. He is awesome. Make sure you check out um Lensanity this week. Dylan was also on Lensanity. That was an awesome episode. I'm not gonna make Dylan plug that. I'll plug that. Um it was great. Someone you know might have written the mailbag for that episode. I'll just say that. Um shout out the running quarterbacks association of America. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, make sure you check out Circle City Cinema Zach Griffith will be releasing an episode the same time as this episode we'll be talking about Black Panther 2 Wakanda Forever so make sure you check that out Dylan Hughes, thank you so much for joining me and filling in for JD thank you
0: and hopefully uh, I'll be back in a few weeks
1: hopefully, hey listen man, the door is always open I want to thank you all so much for listening